Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Howdy and welcome to Wiki Shuffle. I am your host, Jack Stewart. And here with me, as always, is my good pal, Chris Wallace. Hello. And my other good pal, Phil Sharman. Hello. How are you both? I'm all right. Yeah, good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Chris, mm-hmm. we're going to start off with some important event. Well, I'm a bit angry because we went to get... You know I like Happy Meals? <laughs> we do. Because like, they're fun and it's nourishment. <laughs> yeah. It's debatable. But I, will, I don't like chicken nuggets. I hate them. You what? don't hate them. I do. You can just... well, why did you eat them all and you didn't let me well, have any? Because I had to, because the that, the nourishment part. But the fun was still there. But, but, but besides from that mistake on their part, McDonald's. So you wanted, what did you want? I wanted a hamburger. You wanted a hamburger yeah. and you got chicken Stupid nuggets. Stupid nuggets. Stupid nuggets. Yeah. But the other thing is, you remember I had those minions? You loved them, didn't you? I hated them. You loved the minions. They're gone now. They're somewhere. I smashed it up. You smashed it up. Yeah. But I've got another toy. Okay. I don't know am what I it going, is. Am I going to want to smash this up? I don't know. Well, what's on the box? Um, Charlie Brown. Okay. Well, then I'm not smashing up because that's a beloved part of my childhood. So I'll have a quick look and see what it is because oh, we've got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> got to fill the hour. Some <laughs> event <laughs> podcasting here. The listeners are on the edge of their seats. Right. Ooh. Oh, it's in a case. Oh, it's not a fucking book, is it? <laughs> it's not a book again, is it? Stickers? <gasps> stickers? It's stickers in a massive case. Have they diddled me on this and the nuggets? I think they've diddled you, because surely there should be something else in that case, not just two two bits of stickers. No, but it's just a box. No, you must get a toy. The instructions, and there are two. Put the stickers on the box. <laughs> it's like a little coffin. That's, that's disappointing. Oh, Chris, you've been diddled again. Diddled twice. Um, oh well, what can we expect <laughs> from this episode other than that high quality bit of content we just produced there? Well, we mentioned our birthdays last week, and there's another birthday this week. Yes, happy birthday, Wikipedia! Hooray. Fifteen years old. That's nice. Isn't so it? Wikipedia will have just like smoked its first few fags, fingered its first girl, that kind of stuff. The That's nice, isn't goal. it? <laughs> you know, you know, fifteen-year-old stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet, really, isn't it? I'm not sure I want my podcast to be about fingering. Well, it's too late. We're only 50 episodes in, and there's been a lot of mentioning of fingering and paedophiles. I don't think there's been that much. <laughs> fingering paedophiles? No, 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 separate. Then that's fine. It's all on there's you. There's no problem with that. It's not all on me. It is. Uh, who brought up paedophiles? And if yeah. anyone deserves it, it's Wikipedia, because my it's golly, done, is Wikipedia a great website. Done, there's a lot of knowledge. It's done well at school. Little treat. <laughs> Happy birthday, Wikipedia. <laughs> sorry, Rick, sorry, touching Wikipedia. Tri- a touching <laughs> tribute. I'm sure that what's-his-name will be very happy with that. What's his name? Jimmy Wales. Jimmy Wales. Is this why the Wikipedia... I knew it was a stupid name. The Wikipedia Reddit probably doesn't listen... I don't imagine they listen to us. I've advertised on the Wikipedia um, Reddit, subreddit before, and they said no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they said your childish giggling is too much. All right, Phil. Yeah, what, what, what is it that we do when we're not talking about whatever we're talking about we right now? We talk about Wikipedia articles that have been done on the random. 49 episodes in, and we're like a well-oiled machine now. 
Yep. Yep. We're, <laughs> get, we're good at this. Oh, dear. So we're going to press the random article button. We're going to talk about what happens. You're going to listen, and then next week we'll do it all over again, except next week will be our 50th episode, Extravaganza. Is it going to be an extravaganza? I Probably not. No, it's probably going to be more of this. What can... Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking hell. What can the listeners expect? Any treats or surprises? Any treats or surprises? No, not really. (laughs) 50 episodes. We're going to have our postcards ready. Yep. Yeah. Are we? Yes, we are. No one believes me. You haven't haven't done them. I haven't haven't shown you them. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't done them. Come on, you've got your laptop there. Let's see them. It's not on here. Of course. Yeah. You printed them off and left them at home. Yeah, they're on the canvas. Uh, Okay. So if anybody would like to send us a postcard, you'll get a postcard back. Send your postcard to Wikishuffle HQ, 1B Headlands, Kettering NN157ER, and wherever in the world you are, we will send you a postcard back. I hadn't really allowed for that. This could get expensive, expensive, couldn't it? Yeah, don't say that. If you're within the UK. No, I, I, if you're in Outer Mongolia. No way. Send a spe- it's not going to cost that much to send a postcard to Mongolia. Are you asking us seriously how much it costs to send something to Outer Mongolia? I because... don't have your knowledge of the Royal Mail. Yeah, postcard. No, I'm not saying I know. Much. I'm just saying, why would we have that information to hand? You why just seem like the sort of people that know these sort of things. Well, we are. That's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, and it'll be fine. It'll be affordable. We're not going to get that many. Yeah. Prove us wrong. Not from Mongolia. Prove us wrong. I will. I will stand by this. We're going to get a print run of 250 of these postcards what? done. Oh. Oh. Phil just rolled his eyes. Ebbs and flows, doesn't it? <laughs> Mainly ebbs. <laughs> a lot of ebbing on this podcast. I'm going to edit out all the ebbs, so it'll be okay. Phil, would you care to guide us through our first random article for this week? I would bloody love to. Roy Mackle. Roy P. Mackle. I've never felt the need to use a middle initial. What is your middle name? Edward. It's not very exciting (laughs) or very dull. But especially if your name's Roy Mackle, you're not going to need to differentiate yourself from all the rest of the Roy Mackles in the world, are you? I would. You just let that middle initial go. If if I was an author, I'd probably put stick a G in. What's yours? Graham. But, <laughs> but Chris Wallace, you could see a reason why you might need to differentiate yeah, they having that my, extra initial my, to help you. Yeah, when, my novel, they don't You're want to... You're not going to write... Don't, you know I'm what? not going to do it. I'm not going to go down that road. Okay. So Hippocampus has turned into please, a novel please, now. Please, no. <laughs> I was going to avoid that road, but if, that, if I was going to write a book, it would be the novelisation of that. Okay. But I'd put the G in it to make me sound professional. Chris G. Wallace. Christopher. Oh, of course, yeah. Christopher G. Wallace. Now, this, let me, let me claimed just, author. I need to sound out an idea that I've had floating around my head a little bit. I don't have a middle name. Okay. Um, and it's always disheartened me a little bit because, you know, they're either pretty cool or they're um, incredibly funny and stupid like Edward or Graham. Um, <laughs> names. My, names. My great-granddad was called Jack Kelman Stewart. And I think that Kelman is an interesting name. K-E-L-M-A-N. So I was thinking of just adopting that as a middle name. You could do that. Is no, that no. incredibly pretentious? Yeah. Or is it incredibly I think so. cool? No. It's, it's definitely not incredibly cool, especially not with that affected phrase cool. that you put on. Why not just... Jack, I don't know. Because I, I think it's a cool name. Just have the Jack K. Jack Kelman Jack K Stewart. is good. Jack K. So Jack- I'd be like Jackie, but with an accent. Kelman. 
No one's called Kelman. That, that is true. No one is called Kelman. Is there a reason for that? It's not really a name. It is a name. Sounds like a type of oven. Type of what? Oven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I can't say it. <laughs> you've never said that word around me ever. In all the 15 years I've known you, you've never said oven. This is one of those ones that I didn't want to come out. <laughs> I saw, the second you said it, your face went white and it was, you know, oh no. I learned recently that I say that word wrong. And I have Can done you say it again? Oven. Just put the O. And but I've worked out why. And what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say it with you, oven. Because that's how you say it. That's how people say it, but it's wrong. <laughs> Looking at it purely as the way it's written down, then you make sense. But unfortunately, that's unfortunately not how not, the English language works. But I've worked out why. It's because I've got a lot of Irish people in my family. A lot of o- older Irish people who have a really strong like Belfast accent. Oh, the Ovens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, if you ask them to pronounce it, they set their accent. It does sound like it's got an O in it. So I was probably asked to put something in the oven at some point. It's just stuck. That I mean, it kind of makes sense. That does sound Northern Irish. Yeah, um, but nobody told me otherwise. But have you never heard yeah. anyone and say oven before? I've yeah. never listened to anyone else. None of the other words that you say sound remotely no, it, I've Northern just picked Irish. up one. Just, <laughs> just the one. That was the one that got used the most. I put a lot of chips in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> Good, that's that article done. <laughs> Roy P. Mackle was born on the 1st of August 1925 and he died on the 14th of September 2013. What did he do? Roy P. Mackle was a University of Chicago biologist best known to the general public for his interest in the Loch Ness Monster and other cryptozoological entities. Ooh, cryptozoological. The cryptozoo. We're taking a trip down the cryptozoo. Yeah. Basically just code for bonkers, isn't it? There must be some that aren't. There must be must some be. that aren't. Some cryptozoos that aren't bonkers. Yeah, it must be like one. It's like, oh. Actually, actually big I was a zoo. A zoo animal. But not Bigfoot. Not, not, not a Loch Ness monster. I'm not on board with that. Okay. Just like a bat. Okay. <laughs> I just I tuned out for a second. Come <laughs> back in and what what are you? Well, about? you should listen. I was on my phone. <laughs> That's how seriously yeah, I. We this know. Podcast. We know what was happening. So <laughs> Chris about... is out. We're talking about cryptozoology and and bollocks animals that don't really exist. But okay. Chris seems to think that some of them do. I didn't say I that. Knew it, but... I knew it. No, as I, soon no. as I, heard, I knew it. Which no. ones? Which ones? No, none of them. I'm just saying if it's got a word like that and it's got a, there must be something that people thought wasn't real then turned out to be real. Perfectly reasonable thing to say. I'm not saying I think the yeti is hanging around. Where? Where's he hanging around? The Himalayas or something? So you do yeah. think he exists? No, not because I know a place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about Loch Ness Monster? I don't, I don't know, I'm not up for that. Can we just scrap the whole Wikipedia format and just ask Chris questions for the whole podcast every no, week? No, because I think, I'm, I think I'm saying something normal. Okay, yeah, no, I know. You're I just know picking you, on me. No, yeah, yeah, you are saying something normal, but I know if I delve a little deeper, we'll get something <laughs> amazing out of you. I just think like a bird or something. All right, don't get angry. Don't get well, suicidal. Like a, like, don't like put a your phoenix. head in the oven. <laughs> No, not like a phoenix. That's ridiculous. But what? What isn't ridiculous? Well, just one that doesn't really do much. Just like a, a weird swan. So yeah, I mean, no one's doubting <laughs> that there are species that aren't discovered yet. Yeah, and the people would have saw them and thought that they were bigfoot. And then they went back to the village and said, "I just saw this like bigfoot, but it was actually a little something. bird. It was a swan. It was a swan." And they went, "No, that's bonkers." But then it turned out it was real. That's one. But for the period in between that, cryptozoological. <laughs> <laughs> It makes sense. It does. 
I wonder if Roy P. Mackle believed any of this nonsense. He worked <laughs> as a biologist at the University of Chicago. That must mean that he's not absolutely so insane. Mustn't so it? dismissive. Any of this nonsense. <laughs> Let's have a look at his academic background. Born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1925, Mackle served in the United States Marine Corps during World War II before attending the University of Chicago where he received his B.S., that's bullshit, in 1949 <laughs> and his PhD in 1953. He spent the rest of his academic career with Chicago as an instructor and researcher until retiring in 1990. Much of his early research with the university was in biochemistry and virology and during the 1950s, 60s and 70s he contributed to the university's influential virus project studying bacteriophages and the lysogenic cycle. He later served as a professor of zoology. So far, so normal. Hmm. I mean, not average, no, but not batshit either. No. Which is good. We said the same about Chris. Nobody's said that about yeah. Chris. Well, I started out as a professor and then something <laughs> happened. <laughs> no, you started out normal. And then it went wrong. Then we realised. Yeah. And you were bitten by a cryptozoological swan <laughs> and got <laughs> magic powers off of it. Would, no, it wouldn't have been a swan by this point because it would have just been zoological. Because that's um, that's what I'm talking about. Stop picking on me. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say anything there. Just... <laughs> Investigations at Loch Ness. Mackle began his serious research into the Loch Ness monster phenomenon during the 1960s. While vacationing in London in 1965, he took a trip to the Scottish Highlands and met several members of the Loch Ness Investigation Bureau. <laughs> Oh, that's a collection of crazy right there. <laughs> Who were monitoring the lock in observation vans in hope of seeing the creature. Fascinated by their work, Mackle began monitoring the waters himself and, after raising money in America, became the scientific director of the project, a position he held until 1975. During this time, the LNIB conducted sonar probes of the waters near Urquhart Bay and installed underwater strobe cameras with the hopes of providing evidence of the Loch Ness Monster. Macal also designed a biopsy harpoon, a dart-like contraption he attached to a submarine in order to collect tissue samples. It's a lot of money that I imagine they're spending. Oh, there's a lot of crazy people in the world yeah, and for some reason they have a lot of them money. Have money. Yeah. Some of them have podcasts. <laughs> Yes, they do. <laughs> the team never had an opportunity to use the biopsy harpoons. Shocker. On account of there being no monster. Well, you say that, but have you got proof? Have you been there for that, yourself? That's not how proof works. Have you? Oh, it is, apparently. That's not. Have you, what, have you ever seen that there's no god? Yeah? Is that your impersonation of a vicar? <laughs> a really chavvy vicar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But there's only that one picture of the Loch Ness Monster, isn't there? It's just that shadowy thing that sticks out. It's not out. a picture of the Loch Ness Monster. Well, no, you know, there's that one that they say it is, but it's yeah, not. But it's, it's just a thing log. sticking out. It's just a thing sticking yeah. out. Sticking yeah, out of indeed. the water. Yeah. So you, you categorically know there's no Loch Ness Monster? I categorically do not believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. I'm on I, record. I the burden of proof lies elsewhere here. I'm it is not down to me to prove it doesn't exist. It's down to Mackle and his kin to show me a monster and then I'll believe them I'm not I'm not closed to the idea provide me with some kind of viable evidence and I'll change my mind can't say fairer than that yeah I'm on board with that saying that though in the past I have got halfway through and then changed my mind when we're doing these things so but I don't think this is going to happen on this occasion 
Well, let's see what what we can do to, to change your mind. They were unable to provide any conclusive evidence that the Loch Ness Monster existed. Have you changed your mind yet? Not yet. Okay. However, Mackle himself was convinced that something lived beneath the waters. I would agree with that. I think something does live beneath those yep. waters. Fish. Yep. And he recorded his own sighting of the creature in 1970. And in his 1976 book, The Monsters, plural, of Loch Ness, he suggested that a population of large, previously unknown amphibians were living in the loch. Although Mackle later changed his mind and proposed that the creatures were zooglodons, serpentine whales believed to have gone extinct several million years ago. Cool. I know those things, Seb. I'm into them. Are they the ones with the necks? Yeah. Probably they have necks, sure, why not? Yeah, big ones, like sea giraffes. I perfectly re- Stop looking at me like I'm saying insane things. No, I'm just, I'm just disappointed that the first topic after last week's shambles of an episode is about animals, is about animals because I just know at some point you're going to start scribbling things down <laughs> in your notepad. We've barely mentioned the hippocampus so far in this episode. Anybody who doesn't understand what we're talking about when we refer to the hippocampus, you could go and listen to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't recommend it, though. Have you got any further in so your adventures at the hippocampus? Pre-planning. Pre-planning. You Good. don't start works like this with just, on just a whim. You don't... <laughs> You don't want to go in half-cocked when you've got this beauty of an idea. Yeah. Um, and it's yours now. There's there's documented evidence mm. that you own this idea. Nobody well, else. Pixar it, well, can't come out with Hippocampus no. next it's summer. I did a bit of research, and there's a lot of Twitter accounts that have the name Hippocampus, and there's a band called Hippocampus. I did see that in my research. But is it all one word, or is yeah, it a hippo two words. university? It's two words, and therefore, oh. that's, yeah, it's like I'll Hippocampus. Yeah. It's a coming of age story at the minute. That's all, that's all I'll say. So what what have you got? Just it's about a female hippo. <laughs> she goes to university. What's her name? I don't Don't know yet. And she's going there to just fulfil her dreams. Which are Olympic water skiing. <laughs> that's that's so it. So it's like cool runnings. A little bit, yeah. Because people think she would be good at it because she's water based, but she's not. No, people so would it's the assume that she'd be this... bad at it on account yeah. of her being a hippo. Huge. <laughs> yeah. You're working on the details. The, yeah. Yeah. You right. can hammer that out. It's unfair of us to ask more of you than so that much at this stage. If this was on a press junket, oh, yeah. I'd you know, be walking if, out now. I, I hate to say it. For all these spoilers. But if there was an animated film about a, a hippo going to university to train for the Olympics, because that's normal. In a sport that is not an Olympic In sport. In a sport that's not an Olympic sport. Well, cars don't talk either, so... Okay. No, but let, let, me, let me get to what... I'm trying to pay your compliment here. In a weird way, I would be interested to see that film. Hmm. It'd be Heartwoman. You love Pixar. It's not Pixar. <laughs> it's going to be similar. It's not. Just because it's animated doesn't mean it's similar. There's there's something there. If you can flesh that out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh. What's the university's name? Oh, oh, I don't know. The University of Swamp Town. <laughs> Needs work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Swamp Town University. So we've left Roy P. Macal in Scotland. He's had 11 years now trying to do something with the Loch Ness Monster and nothing as much has happened. So instead, during the 1980s, Macal turns his attention to another legendary creature, the Mokili Mbembe, an alleged living dinosaur in the Lakuala Swamp region of the Republic of Congo. Well, 
Mm. Oh, yeah, this, cro- this cryptozoology is working out so well for him. He's got such a good batting average. <laughs> he thought he'd skip continent and go and find another one. Accompanied by University of Arizona ecologist Richard Greenwell and Congolese biologist Marceline Agnagana, Macal undertook two expeditions, the first in 1980 and the second in 1981, to find and photograph the creature. Macal himself did not actually see the creature, but he and his colleagues did collect multiple first-hand reports from the Congo natives. Oh, well, there you go. Who, according to McCall, consistently described a creature similar to a long-necked sauropod. During his interviews with the natives, McCall also heard anecdotes about the Emelanuktuka, another possible living dinosaur, which supposedly resembles a monoclinius or centrosaurus, the Mibiliu Mibiliu Mibiliu, which is said to resemble the Kentosaurus, and the snake or lizard-like Nagumamanine. None of these sound like animals. They're all fun. Yeah. Uh, I had to stop myself from doing a West African accent there because nobody wants that. Nope. <clears throat> nobody wants a white middle-class man to do a West African accent. No. It's no. a hiding to nothing. In 1987, McCall wrote a book about his adventures in the Lukwala swamps called A Living Dinosaur? Question mark In search <laughs> of the Makili Mubembe. He had tried to obtain funds for a third exhibition to the region, but his plans were never realised <laughs> because that's not a good way to spend money. Where's he getting the funds from for the first two? The university. Oh, okay. These people are academics. McCall is widely considered to be one of the seminal figures in cryptozoology, the systematic study of hidden animals like Nessie and Makili Mbembe, along with Bigfoot, the Yeti and others, which are not recognised by mainstream science. Is... I'm not, I'm not quite sure about the uh, the Yeti and Bigfoot, but it smacks a little bit of... And this might be completely wrong, but it smacks a little bit of the Americans seeing the Yeti and thinking, we need a piece of that. Like the Mormon church. Like... It's good, but it's not American. Can we transfer it to America? Yeah, okay, we'll do that then. Jesus lived in America, the Bigfoot lives in America. Everyone's happy. They haven't got their own Nessie though, have they? No, but, and again, this might be quite offensive to our American listeners, but I don't think that any Brits buy into this whole Loch Ness monster thing, but a lot of American tourists go to... The Loch Ness. Along with Richard Greenwell and Belgian zoologist Bernard Hoovelmans, he was one of the founding members of the International Society for Cryptozoology, which was created in 1982 at the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., with the hopes of bringing a degree of respectability to what is often seen as a pseudoscience. Mm. You know what would give them a bit more respectability? Finding something? Anything. (laughs) Just anything. Big imaginations. The organisation published a quarterly newsletter and an annual journal, and members met annually at meetings held at universities throughout the world. McCall was the ISC's vice president for the entirety of its existence, although the organisation gradually folded in the early 21st century, owing to lack of funding and the deaths of Hoovelmans and Greenwell. McCall has said of his interest in the Makili Mbimbi, I admit that my own views are tinged with some romanticism, but certainly not to the extent that I would endure extreme hardship, even risk my life to pursue a dream with no basis in reality. Have you had your mind changed yet? Not on this one, no. He hasn't helped, to be honest. But you wouldn't have done it if there was not a basis of reality. I think yeah. maybe have that conversation with all the priests in the world. McCall died at the age of 88 in Chicago, Illinois on September 14th, 2013 due to heart failure. So apparently being a bit wacky makes you live long. Yep. So 88 is not bad, is it? That's all right. I mean, he could have spent some of those years more effectively, maybe, if he wanted to contribute to science in some way. You could say the same about us, couldn't you? Thankful Villages. That's not a 
term I've had. Thankful villages are also known as blessed villages. They are settlements in both England and Wales from which all their then members of the armed forces survived World War One. I've that... never never heard of that before. No. So these are the villages that were really good at fighting. Is that what you can read into that? Yes. Yeah. Blessed as in, you know, equipped with proper military skill. Proper nice dead ones. hard villages. Yeah, I can or imagine. Very lucky. Or cowardly. Maybe it's the other way. These are the ones that trained their citizens to just hide right while the action was going on. <laughs> is that what it is? The term thankful village was popularised by the writer Arthur Mee in the 1930s. In Enchanted Land, 1936, the introductory volume to the King's England series of guides, he wrote that a thankful village was one which had lost no men in the Great War because all those who left to serve came home again. His initial list identified 32 villages. In an October 2013 update, researchers identified 53 civil parishes in England and Wales from which all serving personnel returned. There are no settlements in Scotland or Ireland that did not lose a member of the community in World War One. So the Scotch aren't very good at war. Wouldn't say that to their faces. And I definitely wouldn't call them a Scotch either. He's being offensive in many ways, <laughs> all in one. Yeah, well done. <laughs> 14 of the English and Welsh villages are considered doubly thankful in that they also lost no service personnel during World War II. So we have... I'm going to run through these quickly. Yeah, good luck on the Welsh ones. <laughs> yep, I've just seen some of them. So we've got Stoke Hammond in Buckinghamshire. Clanfigangel Cruden in, in Cardiganshire. Is that... Yep. Okay. Herodsfoot in Cornwall. Oseby in Cumberland. Or oh, Owlsby. See, this is, this is a minefield, doesn't it? it because is. British place names. Mm. I mean, even as an English speaker, they're ridiculous. I've never heard of Cardiganshire. That's a whole shire. county. That's a county. Have, have you heard of it? I've never heard of it. Where do you imagine it is? You're given? wearing a cardigan. That doesn't mean... <laughs> no, I've just never heard of it. Would you like to have a guess at where it is from the name uh, of the place I'm gonna go. I'm going to go Walesville. Okay, good. Bradbourne in Derbyshire. Langton Herring in Dorset. Hunstonworth in Durham. Strett Hall in Essex, Cole Winston in Glamorgan, Wales, Chris. Gloucestershire has Colm Rogers, Little Sodbury, and amazingly, for a, a village so well versed in fighting, Upper Slaughter. And they're a D as well, so they, they managed yep. all the people from Upper Slaughter were so good at slaughter that they were just. That's why they're not called Lower Slaughter. Yeah. Lower Slaughter had tons killed. <laughs> yeah. Stupid idiots. It was wiped out. Middleton on the Hill and Nil in uh, Herefordshire. Puttenham in Hertfordshire. Knowlton in Kent. Is this good? Is this entertaining? Arkholme in Lancashire as well as Nether Kellett. Saxby in Leicestershire. I know that one. East Norton. Stretton on the Field. Uh, Big Bree. Big Bee. Flixborough. High Taunton and Minting in Lincolnshire. Minting. Nice. You did say you were going to get through these quickly. Quickly. Northamptonshire. Hey! East Carlton. Hooray! Hey! That's just down the road. We know that. I was there like last week. Meldon in Northumberland, Cromwell, Maplebeck, Wig Wigsley and Weissel in Nottinghamshire, Herb Branston in Pembrokeshire, Tay in Rutland, Harley in Shropshire, Somerset nailing it. Mm. Whoa. They've got Aceholt, Chantry, Chelwood, Hollywell Lake, Rodney Stoke, Shapwick, Stocklinch, Tellisford and Woolley. Reading these out sounds ridiculous, mm. like a Dickens novel. Butterton in, <laughs> <laughs> in Staffordshire. Coolfo and South Elm St. Michael in Suffolk, East Wittering uh, in Sussex, and then Catwick, Cundall, Helperthorpe, Norton Leclay, and Scrutton in Yorkshire. There you go. 
That was fun. In France, where the human cost of war was higher than in Britain, Thierville was remarkable as the only village in all of France with no men lost to World War I, nor any memorials constructed in the subsequent period. Thierville also suffered no losses in the Franco-Prussian War and World War II, France's other bloody wars of the modern era. So, well done, cowards of Thierville. Cheese-eating surrender monkeys. There's like 15 years worth of Simpsons quotes that I will never know. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but there's no quotes, is there? It's just Homer bumping into things for 20 minutes. I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you because I haven't seen any of them. Good. Balloon modelling. Balloon modelling, or balloon twisting, is the shaping of special modelling balloons into almost any given shape. Often a balloon animal. Yeah. Yeah, we're familiar with this. People who create balloon animals and other twisted balloon sculptures are called twisters. Oh, mm. That's one word for them. <laughs> well, another word is balloon benders. <laughs> yeah. Or alternatively, balloon artists. They take artists. themselves very seriously. Like a sandwich artist at Subway. Twisters often perform in restaurants, at birthday parties, fairs, and at public and private events or functions. Uh, I, I really don't like balloon modelling. I really, really Once you've like seen it, it. Well, that's yeah, it, when, isn't it? I, it's not that, it's the sound of balloons. Well, I quite like the sound of balloons. Oh, I hate it. Oh, that... <laughs> I hate balloons being around me. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know that I'm learning a lot about. Yeah, you. no, I just hate it. First, the drives me mental. I hate them. I hate balloons. Mm. I hate balloon modelers. Are you or scared? Balloon twisters. Whatever. Are you scared of balloons? Like, are you actually scared? No, I'm not frightened of them. I just don't want to be around them. I, okay. re- I don't. I just don't respect them. <laughs> <laughs> Disdain. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing to be doing with your time, isn't mm. it? But you've got to do something between being born and dying, so why not make balloon animals? Why not? Yeah. Pass the time, doesn't it? To have a because funny coffin. Because there's literally yeah. millions of better ways to pass the time. Oh, you can do that joke where you just blow up one balloon and say, I've made a snake. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. That good probably product. gets pulled out a lot. Yeah. yeah. Two of the primary design styles are single balloon modelling, which restricts itself to the use of one balloon per model, and multiple balloon modelling, which uses more than one balloon. Okay. I'm glad they've clarified that yeah. because the names alone wouldn't have been enough. Well, your first year in balloon modelling school is just spent with one balloon and then you move on to two, so makes yeah. sense. Each style has its own set of challenges and skills, but few twisters who have reached an intermediate or advanced skill level limit themselves to one style or another. Depending on the needs of the moment, they might easily move between the one or multiple approaches. The needs of the moment. <laughs> They're really feeling it. <laughs> I need a balloon animal. I need Stat. one. They might even incorporate additional techniques such as weaving and stuffing or that thing where you suck the end of the balloon to make the poodle's tail. That's one. You know what I'm describing. I know. I don't. What? You do what? You leave the end of the... <laughs> what? Seriously? I'm making myself sound like a twister here. A little you bit. You do yourself a normal dog, but you've not inflated the end of the tail. Yeah. So it's just a floppy well, tail. But then you put that and you just suck on the end of the tail and it turns into a little bubble on the ends and it turns tail. your dog into a poodle. Okay, I, I get it. But do you not look like a total freak when you're doing that? I don't think these people mind. Yeah, this is, okay. that's optimum. 
Modeling techniques have evolved to include a range of very complex moves, and a highly specialized vocabulary has emerged to describe the techniques involved and their resulting creations. Some twisters inflate their balloons with their own lungs, and for many years this was a standard and necessary part of the act. However, many now use a pump of some sort, whether it's a hand pump, an electric pump plugged in or run by a battery pack, or a compressed gas tank containing air or nitrogen. Pathetic, isn't it? The, yeah. These young twisters coming in and ruining the game. Yeah. What about tradition? Exactly. What about lungs? Yeah, like they did it in the olden days. The balloons for twisting are too porous for helium and the designs are generally too heavy for their size for helium to lift. After Hippocampus. I'm not going to... No, this is a very stupid idea for a film. <laughs> oh, right, is it? <laughs> Balloon modelling school. Yeah, Rubbish. why not? Balloon modelling university. No. BMU. This, no, terrible idea. Terrible. Where's the distinction between good and bad ideas in your head? Well, my, in my genius is where the distinction is. <laughs> yeah, don't pull apart the machine <laughs> to try and see. Don't, you, you don't cut open that golden goose. No, do not. This is disappointing. The origins of balloon modelling are unknown. Oh. That's, that makes me unhappy. I'd like to know whose idea this was, first of all. In the 1975 book by Jolly the Clown, Petri credits... Herman Bonner from Pennsylvania at a magician's convention in 1939 as being the first balloon twister. Val Andrews in Manual of Balloon Modelling Volume 1, <laughs> an encyclopedic series, credits H.J. Bonnet of Scranton, Pennsylvania. How often do we get Scranton, Pennsylvania? I think, do we just notice it because it's the office? I don't know, but it seems to have been disproportionately come up on our shuffle, Scranton, Pennsylvania. It's come up quite a lot. Our spiritual home is Scranton, Pennsylvania. Credits H.J. Bonnet of Scranton, Pennsylvania as being the daddy of them all. Creepy. Jim Church the Third states, as if we should know who that is in some way. Jim Church the <laughs> Third states. There's not even states, a link to nope. his article. It's just. Well, if, Jim you, if you have landed on balloon modelling, there's an assumption that you at least have some. Knowledge of, of the history of who Jim anyway. Church III was. He stated that Frank Zaccone from Youngstown, Ohio, was doing a balloon act during the 1940s and had been doing the act for some time. I clicked on the Henry Marr article and this is the most terrifying image you'll ever see. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you have to Google Henry Marr, that's M A A R. Oh. And find his oh. Wikipedia page because he is the creepiest motherfucker alive. That is some sinister twisting well, right I mean, there. He's, he's dead now, thankfully. He died in 1992. The Sultan of Balloons. The Sultan of Balloons, who was on Bozo's Circus. His father, Henry, may be the founder of uh, balloon twisting. Larry Moss, who's big in the balloon twisting world, says that Joseph Marr's evidence is compelling, but warns that if Joseph Marr is correct, then the history of balloon twisting would have to be rewritten. <laughs> <laughs> And that would be awful. There are two essential items required for balloon twisting. Balloon. Oh, can we guess? <laughs> well, yeah. Balloon. Balloon. And then lungs. And then lungs. Yeah. An inflation or device. Inflation device, yeah. Yeah, uh, despite saying that you wouldn't, you're a charlatan if you're mm. using an inflation device earlier, it seems like it's essential. So of the balloons, an assortment of balloons, usually in various colours, balloon sizes are usually identified by a number. The most common size of twisting balloons is called a 260, as it is approximately 2 inches in diameter and 60 inches long. Thus, a 260 is 2 by 60 inches, and a 160 is 1 by 60 inches when fully blown up. We got that. Although these are the most common sizes used, there are dozens of other shapes available as well. Try and use your Literally imagination. Literally dozens. 
<laughs> I wonder if most of them are that shape, but in different sizes. So the second piece of equipment that you must have when becoming a twister is an inflation device. The most common methods are air pumps, similar to bicycle pumps, electric air compressors, and via the mouth. Inflating a balloon via the mouth is difficult. It can be dangerous, particularly... No, no, <laughs> no. Can be dangerous. It can, if you run out of puff. Yeah. <laughs> you stop for a minute and say, kids, the zebra can wait. <laughs> have a little sit Let down. Let me have a fag first. <laughs> <laughs> you you are like the cliche children's entertainer that turns up hungover on like a 2pm children's birthday in an American film. That's, that's yeah. you. Particularly well-trained and talented twisters, however, can blow up several balloons at once. Whoa. And some can even blow up 160s, which are much more difficult to mouth inflate than the more common <laughs> 260s, as their narrowest, narrowness requires a great deal more strength and breath pressure to inflate. Just take your time. Don't go rush. <laughs> There is. If you've got just a gaggle of tantruming children in front of you, desperate for their balloon animals, there's a bit of a rush. If you just take a break, I'll be with this one in a minute. Just play with the, play with the hat that I brought earlier. You can make balloon hats. That's a real thing. Yeah. In fact, I'd take away the whole blowing them apart, do them all beforehand, and just turn up and say, kids, look. All right, see you later. <laughs> Where's my money? What are you Ever to do the with showman. <laughs> I'll do it in a puff of smoke or something. Common models. The single balloon can be used to make a basic four-legged animal with three locking twists. The first forms the nose, ears and face, and then the neck. The second, the front legs and body, and the third, the back legs and tail. Different proportions can be used to represent a dachshund, a giraffe, etc. Any more? A poodle. We've been through this. Oh, of course. <laughs> you have to suck on its tail, though. An elephant, a hook twist trunk followed by a bean twist face and two large elephant ear twists, finished with two locking twists as above. A lot of like technical details yeah. involved. Uh, well, and then there isn't because the next is monkey. No technical details. Sounds harder. Oh, you'd have thought so. And then a bear. Then, your favourite, Chris, you've made some of these up in advance, a helmet. Yeah, pop it on the heads. Three bubble roll through sized to a fit a person's head. What? That doesn't what? Three bubble roll, through size to fit a person's head. Simple. No, you just said it more confidently. Oh, yeah, that's it. Have either of you ever tried to make balloon animals? I don't like touching balloons. Because I've, I've had a go on those, like the long balloons that they use. Mm. Oh, you've aspired and to a twister's life, have you? <laughs> I, I literally had a go once. <laughs> you and I massive, can't even remember why. You massive balloon bender, you. <laughs> I think I was about seven. Uh-huh. And it's so easy. Like, I am a, I'm the clumsiest oaf you'll ever meet. And I did it. Um, you just twist it. it. There's no chance of it breaking. There's a gallery at the bottom. There's a balloon Santa. There's a green teddy, a bit more involved. And then there's a kid with a balloon dog. It's mental. <laughs> oh, my God. He looks really chuffed. Now, if I was that kid's dad, I would be annoyed at the balloon man because I'm about to have something to eat. And my stupid kid has now got this squeaky thing. I'd send the, the clown away and the kid <laughs> and the dog. <laughs> and the rest of the family. I just, in fact, no, they can stay. I'll just go home. <laughs> You're going to make such a great dad, Chris. <laughs> so we, we've, talk, we've talked about what you can do with one balloon, but what can you do with multiple balloons? Oh, anything. Oh, well, I'd imagine apparently. many different characters. Well, item number one on the list is characters. Oh, right. That's <laughs> yeah. great. What you, kind of characters? Well, monkey on a palm tree. Oh, yeah. Penguins. <laughs> big dog. <laughs> <laughs> Big dog. <laughs> the next one. Bear on heart. <laughs> what? I don't know. 
An, oct- <laughs> an octopus, you just get eight balloons and you just give them a twist at the top. I think I could do that. Just multiple poodles. Yeah. <laughs> Flowers. Mm-hmm. A mask to wear. <laughs> As opposed to a mask to what? Nope, this is not a mask wear. to wear. To not wear. Terrify your parents. And then finally, the last word in multiple balloon characters is a tortoise. Your imagination is the limit. Hmm. Well, no, what you can do with balloons is the limit. Thanks for listening to episode 49 of Wiki Shuffle. Next week, we'll be back with episode 50. In the meantime... Did I big a, it up a bit more than that? Episode 50? 50? 50? 5-0? 5-0 of oh, this nonsense. Wh- how did that happen? I have no idea. Because we're very lazy men and that, that we've managed to keep anything going for this long... Every Tuesday as well. Remarkable feat. It really is. And that we've managed to keep the quality so consistently high, week in, week out as well. So consistent. So high. It didn't even sound like you were trying to (laughs) say it. Uh, Yeah, we'll have lots of fun stuff next week. Um, What else? Uh, We didn't want anyone else to die, but Alan Rickman's dead. There we go. Yeah, we we really asked nicely as well that nobody else died. I knew that would happen at one point, though. The amount of that he would die immortal. Yeah. I had my suspicions, mm. but I never wanted to believe it. No, we talk about so many deaths that bound to happen. Yeah, a, a fitting eulogy to the achievements <laughs> of Alan Rickman. There, I'm sure. Be, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be grateful. <laughs> uh, one other thing for episode fifty, Chris. Yes, I'd like to see a storyboard for the hippocampus oh, or yeah. at least something a bit more concrete. don't even worry about it don't even worry about it I wasn't worrying I, was just... <laughs> I can see it behind your eyes you were a bit worried okay so we can get so a bit I more think, hippocampus next yeah, week just I think to... I've got you on board now yeah oh, it seems like you I've are I've got Phil on board <sighs> I, I think that c- it could be a good idea yeah the listeners like I think it. it's straying it's straying from the hippocampus thing to just the story of a hippo who wants to go to the Olympics which I think is more interesting I'm more on board with that than a teen drama set in some university. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. So that's what we'll go yeah. for. I mean, she can go to frat parties, do a like a hippo I, out I of said, water story. It's a coming kind of, of age story. Hippo out of water. I yeah. Like Ooh. There's nothing about this idea I don't like. If I'm honest. No. We'll have more of that next week then, and that's it. We look forward to seeing you for episode 50, and we're going to be announcing loads of fun stuff. We're going to mm-hmm. do a super duper extra long episode. Bumper bumper we're going to have announcements to make if anybody sends us any postcards then we'll send you a postcard back wiki shuffle hq 1b headlands kettering nn 157 er you can also find us on twitter at wiki shuffle pod you can visit us at wikishuffle.co.uk facebook email you can email podcast at wikishuffle.co.uk yeah please do hmm. i like it when people email hmm. okay right until next week for Bye. episode 50 Bye. Goodbye. 